2: And now, move the sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks.
1: Hey, hey, hey! It's Bucky Brooks, and I'm here with my main man Lance Zerline, stepping in for DJ Lance. How was the weekend? How's everything? But
2: it was good. It was good. Just uh, ate dinner way too late last night. Oh. A little spicy food, and I uh, <laughs> had too much to eat, and. Uh, I was with Mark Istook from the from the digital side also, oh. I and seen Marky Mark for a while, so brought the wife with me this trip. So. Oh, that's cool! Yeah, we'll yeah. You hanging. It's vacation. Yeah, yeah, I mean it's a short one for her. It's like we're in and she's out. <laughs> and I said, "What are we doing today?" I said, "Well, I'm doing Move the Sticks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna do Path to the Draft. Tomorrow I'm gonna do Mock Draft Live and Path to the Draft." So it was nice having dinner with you.
1: Guys. <laughs> Enjoy yourself. Yeah. See the city. Enjoy yourself. Just leave it on the credit card. That's yeah,
2: what's- yeah. So we we hit Santa Monica we uh, were oh. staying at the hotel and i didn't realize man it was packed and i didn't realize we we're coming in on the marathon day i guess LA marathon yeah, yeah LA marathon wow, It was the was, bananas it was traffic was
1: yeah b- traffic is bananas it's a big event cuz i think it finishes down in Santa Monica yeah Maybe it must like, because it was ridiculous a little party everybody yeah, was, everybody getting their 26.2 on i <laughs> know my like, wife's done
2: it uh four
1: times oh yeah she I, said it, no two Houston's
2: no, i would not no, even no i'm problem. not even trying to hit 2 miles she's yeah. doing 26 she'll go out on a saturday and run that's all you day. Know, 12 miles day. for fun. I'm like, I'm for what? For what? what? Yeah. That's well, what are you doing today, Lance? Well, I'm going to go watch. There's a Southeast Missouri kid that I'm going to watch. Uh, <laughs> offensive lineman named Drew Forbes. What are you doing? I'm going to run 12 miles. Well, okay
1: then. Go ahead. Well, one guy who now has enough time on his hands to be able to run marathons would be Rob Gronkowski. Yep. Rob Gronkowski, uh, former New England Patriots tight end, has decided to call it a career. Um He's, I guess, going to retire, submit his paperwork in and say that he's done. He's going out on top as a Super Bowl champion. And what I want to ask you is, man, like, how do you view him in the context of the tight ends that you have seen? Is he one that we would rank as the the greatest of all time? Um, And then secondly, when you think about what he has been able to do, how will it impact the way that we view tight ends when it comes to a scouting perspective?
2: You know, I don't know that it changes a lot. I was thinking about this yesterday, and so Rob Gronkowski, you know, slid a little bit in the draft because he had these injury concerns and injury history. He didn't play his final year.
1: Yeah, I mean, you were you were in the league at that point. No, I was I was done, but he didn't play his final season. He didn't play his last year at Arizona. He we well, you know were you scouting in the league at that no, time? I, oh, you I, just got, I okay. made a move I made a move over to media. I may have been with Sports Illustrated at the time, but okay. like Gronkowski didn't play his last year yeah. at Arizona. And still went forty second, but he didn't play and got drafted there. Like Right, so that speaks to how special he was, maybe when we saw him at Arizona. Um he had a back issue that kept him out his final season. He came out early. I want to say he came out after his junior year despite not playing still gets drafted in the second round, goes on and becomes an immediate impact player for the New England Patriots. He and the late Aaron Hernandez uh, created this, this this tag team right. uh, where the Patriots were able to go 12 personnel, two tight ends on the field, and do a bunch of creative things. Um, but when you think about the tight end position, Rob Gronkowski is different than some of the other guys that we have talked about more recently, the Jimmy Grahams and the like he was a true Y, meaning he was an inline tight end that could line up attached to the tackle. He could block like nobody's business. But then he had the athleticism to be able to create mismatches in space. Um, It's really hard to find guys who can do that kind of work on the perimeter.
2: Yeah, you know, we call them – you know, I call them – I like to call them combo tight ends or Ys. But he was rare because – and this is why he has to go down as one of – I think one of the all-time greats when it's all said and done because the production is there. The ability to uh, to affect the running game and the passing game, and then for me, what what always made him special and that I really struggled with is I kept waiting. Like, I don't feel like when I'm watching him, I don't feel like he's this fluid, you know, beautiful, you know, slot receiver. And yet you can't check him. He's no. got this
1: rare acceleration, and you can't tell how fast he's running. And he just gets open. He he consistently gets open. He's a big body post-up specialist he's a red zone weapon he was dominant right then when you think about i mean i'm sure your dad would love to have him as an to go to to work yeah to be able to to go and do the run game and i think the the beauty of gronkowski going out the way that he is going out his most impactful um moments this year were as a blocker oh yeah no no question he absolutely kicked tell in the postseason where when the Patriots decided look this is who we are we're going to be a physical downhill running team they did it with 87 on the edge just balling dudes and I think that is ultimately what you want your best players to do to always impact the game even when they don't have the ball in their hand
2: you know I think that's one of the things that really uh, speaks to his greatness too is that because he knew he didn't have the physical capabilities to do. He just wasn't physically there this year. And so it's almost like he intentionally shifted that focus to say, let me put a little bit more into um, the blocking. Let me make sure that I'm going to still help the Patriots be the best they can be. And I thought he showed up in the postseason as a pass catcher as well. Um, It's clear that physically he's beginning to deteriorate, I think. And the fact that they've had him for as long as they have without – he's had his injuries but not not a ton. Yes. And and I always felt like you know, it's always you, you could ask yourself how good would Rob Gronkowski have been for any number of other quarterbacks. But I think if you want to talk about his greatness, look at how Tom Brady struggled at times Rob Gronkowski was not on the yeah. field. He looked like a different guy. There were times and I remember doing a, you know, doing my radio show in Houston saying this may be it for Tom Brady, what, three or four years? I yes. think it's about four years ago when did, Gronkowski
1: we, was out. Yeah, we did, we did it repeatedly. Like, how are they going to survive without 87? And uh, for so long, people have been like, yeah, but you know, the Patriots have been able to win. You don't need a number one receiver. Hold up. Yeah. Rob Gronkowski was the number one option. Is number and it was option. different because he was a Y, and he wasn't a, a Y receiver in X or Z, but he was the number one option. And the way that they utilized him – be it in empty, be it on the backside of three-by-one formations as an attached or detached tight end. He created problems, and you always had to to shift your, your, your defensive emphasis to be able to deal with 87, dominant player. And originally, I kind of bristled at the notion that he's the greatest tight end of all time, but then when you begin to look at what he did, not only as a pass catcher, Man. like his yards per catch average of 15. Yeah, one, that's ridiculous. Higher than Jerry Rice and some of these other guys. And then you look at how physically dominant and imposing he was. Then you throw in the blocking. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if any other tight end has been able to impact the game like this. And I played with Tony Gonzalez. And I would say Tony Gonzalez is an A-plus talent. But when it comes to blocking and being kind of like right. a road grader on the edge, yeah, Tony wasn't that. Tony was an athlete, a basketball player who was a serviceable blocker. Rob Gronkowski was a dominant.
2: Player. Well, and that's why when when you talked about there's there's three names that come to mind when you talk about number one tight ends who are number one receiving options. And you could say there were other guys certainly with for Dan Fouts, but Kellen Winslow had yes. had a lot of that. Uh, but of the more current generation, I would say uh, you know it's Tony. And it's going to be Antonio Gates. Neither one of those guys block like Gronkowski. No. I mean, Antonio Gates is, is more of a – he is a basketball receiver. Yes. He's, but they were number ones. And, and Phillip Rivers and then everybody who was in – frankly, everybody who was in Kansas City with with uh, Gonzalez and then with his move. I mean, you, you're talking about – they changed the way that you were able to look at your wide receiver position. I think everyone wanted to have a number one wide receiver, but you didn't have to. As long as you had capable wide receivers and you had a – you call them a number one option, that's a great way to look at it because there are different ways to utilize your receiving core. You've talked about the basketball. you got to have a basketball team out there. Well, I mean – that's that's dumping it down to a Rob yes. Gronkowski in the paint, right there in the paint. Yeah, you, you can't stop him in the paint. You can't stop him in the paint. You're just dumping it down for a little dream, a little.
1: And a little could do, shake. I mean, they used to do so much stuff with him. I mean, and I think like our imagery is kind of clouded because of you know like we saw a declining player. He wasn't the same right. one. But if you go back like two and years watch. where he played all 16 years, yes. first and second. Yeah, I mean, when you when you watch how he was able to move in his prime. You just didn't see big guys like this. And now he's kind of like Voltron. He had all the the pads and equipment on and, and kind of <laughs> yeah. like it seemed like he was lumbering, but he's steadily and consistently getting past linebackers and safeties down the field. He's just a unique player. And I think the New England Patriots certainly helped him out with their scheme, but he is a unique talent, and they were just able to maximize everything that he brought to the table. And so it's – It's interesting. Now, when we look at the Patriots, obviously this has to impact them in some way, shape, or form, be it in free agency or the draft. Uh, Luckily, This year's draft class is loaded with tight ends. Could you see the Patriots make a move to get one or maybe even two tight ends in the same draft?
2: Absolutely. And we've seen it for years and years before he got Hernandez and you know, he had the perfect combination at one point he meaning Belichick with Hernandez and then Gronk, and we know what happened with Hernandez now Gronk is on the way out. But even before that, they kept drafting tight ends. Because I think Belichick in his mind recognized the ability to mismatch the way other people weren't mismatching uh, with, with multiple tight ends who did multiple things. And uh, I remember there was a kid out of Tulsa that they drafted a, a little while back. and So now, in this, this is a good tight end draft, and it does have a variety of players, and you do have some wide tight ends and some guys who can do a little of both. I do think the New England Patriots recognize that Tom Brady likes to have – they're not going to be – he's not a quarterback who's going to throw it you know long and deep he's not somebody who likes to work way outside the hash he likes to work the middle of the field, and I think finding a big, capable candidate at tight end who's got the ability to 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 impact the run and pass, I mean, that, that's a big part of who the Patriots are now, and I do think they're going to look for that, and this is a good draft for them to take a look at that. So, anytime you're working with your mocks, and you look at the back end of the first with the Patriots, I'm always hyper aware of Irv Smith, of Noah Fant, and, and Hawkinson is not. I don't think he's going to be there for him. Frankly, I don't think Fant is either, but they have enough draft capital
1: and, and the one to thing move up. That- The Patriots have done. They normally are a team that, and we'll talk about this, this is kind of like a theme, they will double down on a weakness, meaning they will draft multiple players at a position of need. And, in fact, the year that they took Rob Gronkowski, I think was the same year they took Aaron Hernandez. And so they had two rookies in place playing the Y and the H. And if we can go back and remember how good those offenses were, they created problems with those guys and the interchangeability of the two guys being able to just stay on the field and more formations and to do so many different things. I just believe it's something that – I mean, it kind of revolutionized the offensive world for a little bit. There was a four or five-year window where mm-hmm. those two guys were able to just dominate, so, being able interchangeable Ys and Hs.
2: Rob Gronkowski was the second pick of the second round. Well, he was. I'm sorry, there was their second pick. He was the 42nd pick, and Aaron Hernandez was the 113th pick in the fourth round. So you're right. They doubled down. And by the way, you know what they did before between those tight ends. Two linebackers, Jermaine Cunningham and Brandon Spikes, both from Florida. There's the double down effect they, they, that's, that's as what, well.
1: That's what they do. They're not afraid of throwing resources at the positions of need. And it's a smart strategy. about one. this? 2006. This is the one I was
2: thinking of. Second round pick uh, in 2006 was Dave Thomas, tight end Texas. The very next pick, Garrett Mills, tight end from Tulsa. From double double down.
1: down. And Bill Belichick will tell you his affinity for tight ends goes all the way back to his days when he worked for the Detroit Lions. Really? I think he may have been working there when Charlie Sanders uh, was playing there, and he always saw the impact and the effect of having two tight ends. And so when you have two tight ends, guys that can get on the field and do some different things, it does create a unique situation. You know, speaking of unique
2: situations, um, I want to talk about, because so many of tight ends now. Now when we look at tight ends, and it used to be you were a Y or – and then, and then when it was just wise, all of a sudden tight ends started to disappear from the league. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then I think Antonio Gates and and obviously – well, I think Gates was a big part of it. You started seeing um, guys who were really beginning to mismatch other teams. The basketball player, Antonio Gates, comes in the league. And I remember as a rookie, he just put – he gave the Texans like three Woo, touchdowns. It was unbelievable. And I remember thinking, well, how do you guard them? I mean, because back then you just guarded with linebackers. Yes. Well, it was a wrap. And then, okay, well, then you got to guard them with the strong safety. Well, then the strong safety would get posted up by a guy like Gates, who was legitimately a post player. (laughs) I know. Like, this is a tournament post player in a Final Four, right? Yes. So, Yes. um, So all of a sudden the mismatched slot, and it's a copycat lead, League people start realizing, well, maybe they don't have to be great blockers if they can mismatch in a slot. And so now this whole concept, every time I look at players, guys I used to probably would have scratched because we used to be able to pigeonhole guys, and if yes. you weren't this, then you couldn't play. If you weren't this, they're not tweeners anymore. They're hybrids. And so now, Bucky, I want to talk about mismatch slots because there are different ways that you can win from the slot, and it can be a big pass-catching tight end, Yes, but it can also be – the you know, yeah. I mean, Hunter Hunter Renfro. I don't know if I call him a mismatch slot. He's more of what people have, uh, Welker ushered in a new era of slot receiver, right? Yes. That, and, and that's fine, and that works too. But so does I'm looking at a guy like Lil Jordan Humphrey from University of Texas. L.J. Now he was. Now I don't know why he got down to 210 at the combine and ran skinny and then ran slow. <laughs> I mean, beef up and be a big slot. That's what I'm saying. You can run
1: your 478. If you weigh 232. Yeah, but don't, don't get down to 210. Don't get it down to, yeah, down to 210. Yeah, because then you don't have anything. But you're right. And is one of the things that last year um, I asked some guys about it because it was right after Michael Thomas started having a tremendous amount of success early in the year. Uh-huh. Uh, he was wearing people out in the slot position. He's number three when they go trips, um, and you always count receivers from outside in. He would be lined up in the third position inside, and he's working against either small nickel guys, or he's working against linebackers. Right. And what it is is he's too physical for the little nickel guys, and he's too quick and elusive for the linebackers. And right. so Sean Payton and these other guys have discovered, man, we put a big guy in there, it is almost like having uh, a pseudo tight in. And so they're finding ways to create these mismatches on the inside because these guys are overwhelming with their physicality. And so in this draft class, when you look at A.J. Brown, Right. AJ Brown is 6'1", 228 pounds. People worried about it. He ran faster than I think everyone expected. But really, he's going to do his dirty work as a big slot receiver if yes. someone has that vision. And so we've seen older guys in the league, Larry Fitzgerald and the like. Unbelievable. Because you want that big body, which right. is like a tight end, to go and dig out those guys in the running game but also take advantage of the mismatches in the passing
2: game. Yeah, and I think it – and you know what? It's easier I, – I think it's a little easier if you're able to get the contested catches. And when you're a big slot – who understands how to use your body like A.J. Brown and certainly like Larry Fitzgerald. You know, Larry Fitzgerald restarted his career. My dad was in Arizona, and I remember talking to Daryl Drake about this, the wide receiver coach at that time with Bruce Arians. And we talked about, you know, at first Larry wasn't crazy about bouncing inside to slot. And then once he really got a feel for it, it extended his career. I mean, Larry Fitzgerald became – he had a second life as a wide receiver because – his contested catches are bananas. I mean, he's incredibly strong, great hands, all the ball skills in the world. So now you're throwing him in tight quarters where he can start posting people up. So it's less about separation and it's more about bodying. Mm-hmm. And that's why, you know, there are different mismatch slots because you can I can see a world where Nikhil Harry in this draft, where you say, you know what? Depending on who's across the the the, the secondary you know, we're going to stick him in the middle and we're going to give you a problem and you're we're going to, to make work. him a safety blanket and just beat you up with seven catches in a game.
1: And, and there's nothing wrong with that. And I think the good coaches understand man, the tight end is a way you can get easy easy catches, easy touches just kind of post them up, let them work let them get it inside and kind of do damage and so it is a matter of finding guys that you can create easy matchups, uh, easy mismatches and easy completions for your quarterback and so you're right. But You have down about the other slot receiver. Yeah. Not the big guys, but the little quick guys. And how do we maximize those guys? And how do we utilize those guys? And what guys are really effective in the slot? And so, from my vantage point, when I'm looking at slot receivers or guys that I think can be slot receivers, one of the first things I'm looking for is I worry more about quickness than speed. Um, So, if we were going to look at not them on tape, but watch them on tape and watch them move and run routes, but also when we look at the combine – what do they do in their short shuttle? What do they do in their three-cone? Three cone? Yeah. Do they have impressive numbers there? Because it's the ability to create that create that rapid acceleration when they're coming out the break point. And then it's a matter of, ideally, I like guys that have some return skills in their background. Mm-hmm. Part of it is because I know they're tough. Because if you're a returner in the punt return game, you got to be tough to deal with all the bodies coming down. Secondly, it means that you do have some wiggle. Because a lot of what uh, is effective in the slot is, can they catch it? And then can they make the first guy miss? Right. And that five-yard game becomes 10 or 12. That's what it is. When we look at Edelman and some of the guys that are known for being the best slot receivers in the league, they're able to consistently turn those five- and six-yard routes into 10- and 12-yard games.
2: Yeah, I think there's a belief from a lot of people that if a guy's short, you just throw him into the slot, and that's yeah. all it is. And, and I'm looking at Andy Isabella from from UMass, and here's a guy who runs a four-three-one forty, 140. Unbelievable speed. We know that. Hands aren't good. It's just – not at the combine not at the senior bowl his hands are just not great and he runs he's so fast and so explosive in the first in the first five in the first five yards frankly that one of the things you see we really saw at the senior bowl was he's (laughs) at the top of the break he hasn't learned to gear it down like he hasn't learned the route tempo and pace because he hasn't been a lifetime slot wiggle guy he can just run by guys how long does that take and sometimes is it going to be too much like
1: i wonder how long it would take like some guys you are what they are most guys don't change whatever you are on saturday that's typically what you're going to be on sunday so for a guy like an andy isabella i don't know if he can go and live inside in the slot like that just because he is short in stature doesn't mean that his skill set is conducive to playing in the slot to me when i look at him he's someone i always want to keep on the move so shallow crosses vertical routes, I don't want him to do a lot of stop and restarting just because, in my estimation, he doesn't do that very, very well. The guys who typically play well in the slot, I think Debo Samuel will be good in the slot oh, yeah. because he's physical, he's tough, he can go in there and create. At the top separation. of the route, he
2: will. we saw it at the senior ball, top of the route, he is a route bully. Like, <gasps> he will just bang, bang, and,
1: and it is – Yeah, get you out the way, yeah. mu- muscle you. And they'll let you the do top. it in the NFL. They'll let you do it. Um, it's funny because now we have down – in. Paris Campbell. Right. So the fascination with Paris Campbell. So how do you deal with him? Paris Campbell ran 4-3-1. But Paris Campbell played the H-back position at Ohio State, which is the slot position. It's the same position that Percy Harvin played in that offense at Florida. When I look at Paris Campbell, when I saw him at the combine, I was more impressed with his route running than I thought I would be based on the tape. However, there's a skill and a nuance to playing in the slot. And so – some of it is on him. Does he have the nuance to be a skilled player, a craftsman inside, where he learns how to set up people and understand timing? Or is it a situation where, look, I'm going to throw you in there so I can give you the ball on fly sweeps, bubble screens, uh, now plays where you can go and kind of do work. It is, it's an interesting deal um, that we have to kind of vet out because like, ultimately fit and scheme, one of the biggest things, that you have to do when it comes to evaluating. Yeah, and I think
2: that you know it's interesting to go back to Andy Isabella for a second, just to show people how, how, how these things when we when we look at certain skills, what they can and can't do, and how they're going to be utilized. This is really interesting, Andy Isabella. How you said he should be used is really the same way that DK Metcalf. When you think about yes. this, and here's a guy five eight versus six three, 239 pounds. Now, Isabella is a little short to be trying to win deep. He can win with speed, but not if it's jump ball situations deep. But you don't want a whole lot of break points for DK Metcalf. You don't want a whole lot of break points for Andy Isabella. So, you know, it's it does. It's not always about size and speed and weight. It's about how you fit best into a scheme. And you got to put them in the right opportunities because if you put DK Metcalf – in multi-breaking routes and a lot of stop starts, that's not good.
1: DK Metcalf is a vertical playmaker. Right. Uh, it's funny because I was on Baltimore radio and they asked me about DK Metcalf, and as I described, him, they say, "Man, that that kind of sounds like someone that we had here, Rashad uh, Perryman." Yes. Ugh. And I was like, "Yeah, I mean, yeah, maybe." Yeah. Like because Perryman was a straight-line vertical guy that didn't do a great job of stopping and starting. But look, if he you allow him to take the top off the defense. He can do that. And I think they found in Cleveland, when they allowed him to be the vertical stretch guy, he has success. He'll have to have that same kind of role in Tampa. Nanadee's there. I think what we have to do when it comes to evaluating, and, and this is different because uh, we're on the media side and we're looking at them, grade them for what they are, not for what you want them to be. Grade them for exactly who they are. DK Metcalf is a vertical playmaker. DK Metcalf is not a number one receiver. AJ Brown was the number one receiver in that offense. DeMarcus Lodge was another playmaker in that offense. But A. J. Brown is the number one and he's the one that would have potential to maybe evolve into being a number one at the next level. Metcalf and the other guy, they're complementary players. Um,
2: I wanna you know, there's always guys in a in a in a draft that and you've been in this position where no matter where you rank them and grade them, and people need to understand this. I can put a grade on a player, oh, yeah. but me personally, I'm thinking, man, I would no, not. I don't want to. Not, not not for me. Not my type of. Audience. Not for yeah, me. But it. this is. I'm trying to do it for 32 teams. There are other guys who I might have in a fifth round. Oh and yeah. That's not a slam at all. It's just where he fits. Where he fits. Based on his, you know, size, speed, all that. Uh, but value. you can love him. But I love him. But and, you can love people, him. And people, you know, that's yeah. what, I, Bucky. People don't understand. I think when we deal with with talking about players like, oh, he's like a third or fourth, and they and they take it as a personal affront, you have to understand, scouts can love a player, teams can love a player in a certain round and say this is my kind of guy and have a higher grade on another guy and mm-hmm. say I would never t- – I, I, he's not a draftable guy for us.
1: Yeah, because what you're trying to do is approximate value, and the value is based on how you think this guy will come in and fit based on your team, and – When we talk about round veg, because we see it on the Twitterverse, like everyone throws out a, on my board, this guy's a first-round pick, or whatever, but understand when you're rating and evaluating guys, there's verbiage and meaning that goes with those round grades. So, for instance, when I say a guy is a top-ten talent, it means to me, one, he's a blue-chip player. He's a guy that I would expect to be in the top five or top ten if his at his respective position in the league in two to three years. Yep. Like, that's how you value When you talk about a top ten player, he should be one of the best five to ten players in that position in the league when you take him there. First-round player should be a guy that should be able to start right away from day one. The expectation is he's going to start. Second round, eventual starter. Maybe right situation. He starts year one, but year two, he needs to play and be on the field and be a major contributor. Third round, Key contributor year one, eventual starter year two or three. And anything below the fourth round, to be honest, it's a developmental player. It's a player that will have to come in and play special teams. And if you get something out of that, beyond that, you're lucky. But you can bang the table for those kind of guys. Absolutely. You? Round two, round They're three, gonna round
2: four. They're going to make it. They're going
1: to find a way to stick. They're going to do some things. Yes. You
2: know, here's some guys that I would pound the table for right now. I don't want to get too deep mm-hmm. into – Third, fourth, and fifth rounds right now. Right, Stay early. with. I'll play the hits right now. TJ Hawkinson is a guy that I would pound the table for. Easy, easy, easy because like. he. I think he's. We talked about. We just got. To, we talked about Rob Gronkowski, right? Mm-hmm. What here is another why coming into the league when Gronkowski's going out, who is a willing blocker. I think has size to get bigger. He's not Gronk size, but I do think he has a frame that can take on more weight. But he is a guy that's going to give you everything you want. He is a plus athlete. He is a plus pass catcher, very good hands, and then they've got—he's got the ability to work level one, level two, and level three as well. And you see that some in in in, uh, in Iowa's offense. And I just, to me, I understand that a top ten pick is not usually what you want to where you want to have tight ends. Historically, it's you don't see that a lot, but he's a guy that I would pound the table for, especially in this draft, and say if you need a tight end or if you need a. You know, a pass catcher. If you need a target, I got no problem with Hawkinson. Oh, have and no, I would do it over Fant and over Irvin.
1: I have no, have no, have no problem because he is like when you think about tight ends. In my mind, an old school tight end is a Mark Brevaro type, a guy that can line up. He can be attached to the. What to do the you line. like best, tight ends, right now? Uh, like like which guys what, in this well, no, draft, or oh, what do I want?
2: Yeah, what do you want right now? I want,
1: I want a classic wide. I want a classic wide okay. that can line up in, in the So you think game. Hawkinson is a classic wide? I y? think he is a classic wide. Okay. I think he is easy to fall in love with. I think it's easy to get the production out of him. Um, I think the harder guys to kind of figure out are the guys that are the jumbo wide receivers. Mm-hmm. The, the, the types that you don't know if they can go down there, if they like it nasty, if they want to get noisy. What do you think about Fant? Um, I think I think he's a jumbo wide receiver. I think he is a, a wide receiver in a tight ends body. And I think you have to treat him as such. And the reason that it worked in Iowa with both of those guys is because you had the the butt kicker. Right. And Hawkinson. And then you had the finesse guy and no offense. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I think you have to understand exactly who they are to make sure that you treat them the right way.
2: How about another guy that I'm, I pound the table for? And you may not be on the same page. I've, I've noticed that when I talk to some teams about this guy, they like him, but they don't have the same Didn't conviction I, I have. Yeah, and that's Dalton Risner from from Kansas State. You know, I remember feeling the same way about Cody Whitehair when he came out, and it's because when I look at offensive linemen, there's a couple things that really stand out. I like to find guys who have very strong hands, because if you have very strong hands, you can, you can control the point of attack. You pull them in tight. Yeah. Yeah. You're not going anywhere. And he has good core strength, which you can have strong hands, but if you're always trying to ride the bull like Drew Samia from, <laughs> from you know, I see him trying to ride, like, hang on for that, you know, for a three count. Don't get bucked. Uh, and it's fine. That that works too. But I like guys with that strong core that can keep them right here in, in, into the, you know, squared up. And he's got both of those. And then I saw there's nasty on tape, but then I, at the senior bowl, I got to see what kind of dude he was in one-on-one drills and team. And he's a dude. And and he's a dude. And he's a guy who fits into the offensive line culture. And he's a guy that I would pound the table for because I know he can play right tackle. Now, some people might argue it, but I think – I feel confident he can play right tackle. He has played some center as well, just like Cody Mm Whitehair, And then I I don't think it's a stretch to believe he can play guard. So I think he's a four-for-one player. He can't play left tackle. He can play both guard spots, center and right tackle. You give me that kind of roster flexibility, it's kind of like I feel like with Jonah Williams where you can discuss where you want to play him if you want. I just think he can block Jonah. Mm -hmm. And I kind of feel the same way about Risner, but I think his football character and his football, his demeanor, and then some of the physical traits that he has as a, as a blocker, every, those boxes are getting checked off for me. And I feel confident because these, this is the kind of guy that isn't going to bust to me. And that's no. why I pound the table for
1: him. No, look, and th- those guys are easy to fall in love with. They're really easy to fall in love with. Especially like, at a certain position of the draft. A certain position of the draft is easy to fall in love with. And I have learned um, just in watching people who have done this really, really well, teams that win championships – you can't go wrong taking good football players. Mm -hmm. Like, you can never go wrong saying, like, you know what? I'm going to just take really good football players, and I'm going to deal with it. And sometimes they're not the body beautiful guys. They're not the guys that are going to win the beauty pageant early on. But if you assemble a team that has just really good football players, you're going to win a ton of games. And so the draft process is a little bit about finding good football players, but it's a lot about the beauty pageant. And the good evaluators – are able to kind of separate those boxes and kind of put guys in the right boxes where they're a mix of the beauty pageant, but they really are really good football players. And so you listed two of your guys. Yeah. There's another guy on the list that you got to talk about. You got to talk about this guy. You got to talk about this guy. The
2: savage, the ultimate savage,
1: Darnell Savage. Man, this guy. Like, okay, like it, it was late. I was popping in some tape. I was watching him. And Darnell Savage from Maryland. I'm kicking myself because like, look, this is a long process. there's a lot of players to get you're 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 in it. Like, look, man, you're writing 500 profiles, which is absolutely bananas. Uh, I don't envy you in that. (laughs) I'm trying to get the top 150 down so I can feel good about it as if it's a draft board. But this kid from Maryland, Darnell Savage, like I'm just going to read. You got your note. You got your notebook out. My notes got my highlight in my pen. One, I put the combine numbers down. And numbers are stupid. Four, three, six, thirty nine and a half inch vertical. So right away, I'm like, woo. Yeah, that's super explosive. It alerts you. It, it alerts you. But then you, you go and you watch the tape, and I wrote down A plus athlete. You see the speed, the hold greatness. up. He ran a four three six. Yeah. What. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't even like on like so that's what happens. We're so in the weeds. So we ta- we
2: pre taped a little bit on our on our combine. Oh yeah, while the safeties were going on. Oh yeah, because we had to all get to the airport. got get, get, get going. And I'm like, yeah, I know Savage can run. Yeah. I know he should hit about a four
1: five one. Yeah, he should four, be good. Four three six. He's on. only behind the guy by like 005 That that like like you you're talking about like being in the mix. So then you're like, all right, well you like he's a super Let's see the tape. And when you look at the tape. It jumps. It matches. Like the speed, quickness, burst shows up. The range, I wrote down numbers to numbers, no problem. Quick key in diagnose, aggressive reactions in the hole. Good hitter, good tackler. And I wrote this he's an ASAP player. When he sees it, he is there. ASAP.
2: I use the word urgency. It's I the mean, same he thing. is
1: he is right there. I think he can play man to man coverage from the nickel spot. And and coming up, because everyone loves comparisons. I wrote down Marcus May only because Marcus May was a guy that was real bad. solid. We was smart. He can control it. Without having talked to Darnell, I just get the sense that he is a high IQ football player to go with all that athleticism. He is someone that we haven't talked about a lot, but I believe the buzz is going to build around him, and he's going to be one of those guys that when we hear his name call, some people on the are going to be like, what?
2: No, so I still have to do grade changes for safeties and corners, right? And so my NFL draft tracker, uh, depending on when you hear this, this podcast, I'm, I'm still making changes based on combine stuff. I've been waiting for some pro days to get through. And when I look at all these numbers, you know, one of the biggest numbers that jumps out to me is I remember there was a thought. He was estimated. The estimated number I had from a scout on, on him was under 5'10" which was a concern. At the combine, he's 5'10 and three quarters. He's almost 5'11 and 198. He ran at almost 200 pounds, just ran a 4'36. So right off the bat, and you know how this goes. Right walking, out the gate. Right off the gate, I'm I'm getting to be okay with the one area I had a concern on, which was his size. So if I'm okay with his size, then i got to make a huge push after these numbers are out there. And this is what people struggle with. Wait. Well, whatever you had him before the combine, whatever the tape says, no, you don't understand. There's different levels of competition that these guys face. When it's an apples-to-apples apples comparison of their athletic talent and we get an actual idea of their actual height, weight, and speed, and quickness that fine-tunes, uh, that fine-tunes the evaluation. And for, for me, Darnell Savage was a guy, when I watched him in, in December, I thought, man, Darnell Savage has – Just really uh, a great football IQ, a great coverage IQ is what I call it. But he's also really twitchy and really aggressive, and he can play in the slot. So he can play on the back end. He can play as a slot corner. And now the size component is answered for me as well in an affirmative way where I wasn't really sure, to be honest with you. That is a big push for me on Darnell Savage. I mean, look he's a really good football player.
1: Really good football player. Plays fast, tough. I didn't see him back down from tackles. He comes up, he makes big hits. And even though, like, ideally, um, when we think about safety, you want him to be a little bigger, man, look, 200, 205 is big enough. He'll learn how to give, like, when it's time to blow people up, when it's time to just be a solid tackler. But he's terrific. So, then, speaking of safeties, I have a safety that I believe I'll pound the table for. Yeah. Taylor Rapp from UW.
2: Taylor Rapp is like my Dalton Risner. You just know he's going to be like he's not going to let you down.
1: You know he's going to play. He's going to be around it. And he is always around it. And when I looked at his numbers, it's interesting because he's obviously probably not going to be fast because he didn't run at the combine, which is fine. But he popped a 35-inch vertical, 9-7 broad jump, 682 3 cone, and a 399 short shuttle. Anything sub four is absolutely getting after it. So you know that he has short area quickness and bursts. When I turn on the tape, high IQ playmaker, great instincts, ball skills, love the vision and awareness, tough, physical, thumper. The other thing that stood out to me, he is always around the ball. Always. Always around the ball. And so when it came time to come up with a comparison, there are two guys that came to mind. The first when I saw him running around and making big hits. I was like, man, this dude is just like Harrison Smith was when he came out from Notre Dame. The other thing that came to mind when I saw him around the ball, man, I was doing the West Coast when Eric Weddle was at Utah. And I don't know if Eric Weddle just in his football pants, carries around like a lucky rabbit's foot and a shamrock and a a lucky horseshoe, but the ball always found him when he was at Utah. Right. Taylor Rapp, the ball just finds him. Tip overthrow, fumble, you look up, number seven, or two, he he is always in the mix. And so there is something, too, when guys are always in the mix. He is a guy that I believe, first round, second round, wherever you take him, he's going to be a starter in this league for 10 years. He's going to make a handful of Pro Bowls, and he's going to make a ton of plays in the middle of the field. You know, he's just not out of
2: position either. And when you watch him, it's it's that football IQ. He's been starting since he was a freshman. I remember I had to do a summer series where I looked at the – players to watch at every position and i'm you know and and i do this i'm kind of come if you're not a guy who's in the draft i know you a little bit but i don't i don't know you a lot especially if you're a freshman and so when i came across taylor rapp and i watched his tape i'm like whoa you know this is going to be a guy for me to pay attention to because he just had the urgency and the instincts much like savage darnell savage he just had those elements that you look for in a safety he was safe as a safety. He's a very good open field tackler as well.
1: Very good.
2: Very good open field tackler, which I think sometimes people look at ball production and and they, they fall in love with interceptions, right? But a safety, one of the most important jobs is are you big enough, physical enough, and agile enough to make open field tackles and to withstand the punishment? And I think the answer is yes on all three for Taylor Rapp.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think he can do all of that stuff. He can give you exactly what you're looking for. Does a great job of making plays. I love him. I love what he brings to the table. If you gave me the combination where I could take two for one, if this was uh, we were at Target and they were having a special, <laughs> give me Rap and Savage, and I could play with both of those guys yeah. uh-huh. in my back end, and I would be good with it for the next ten years.
2: You, you think Taylor Rapp goes day two, or you think or he could sneak into
1: day one? I think he could sneak into day one for a team that really likes him. I think I think he's Eugene a top. Eugene Chung, could he be a – Potential replacement for uh, – Oh, Patrick Chung. I mean,
2: Patrick Chung. Yeah, rather. Patrick Chung. Could he be Maybe. a replacement
1: for Patrick Chung? He's kind of a – He's kind of a Patriot. got high IQ. Makes Although they plays, don't typically use
2: first-round picks on on a safety. But – You never you never
1: know it then, When I watched him, because
2: I thought he had some of the same elements as Patrick Chung, and I I felt like I was watching a Patriot when I watched Taylor Rapp a little bit.
1: I mean, unbelievable when it comes to it. Uh, I just – man, I just think he's a very, very solid football player who's going to have a chance to make a ton of plays, make a ton of plays in the league.
2: Yep. Let me, um, speaking of the the Patriots, so my man Ed Oliver's got a pro day coming up March 28th, at the University <laughs> of Houston. And the internet and Twitter got mad at me because Twitter gets mad about a lot of things. I mean, Twitter's angry. Yeah, Twitter's Twitter's angry. They're always on the lookout. And so I put out there, and I, and I thought about this before I put it out there, and I said, you know what? I want to have this on, I want to have this, Right now in, what was it? I want to say it was sometime in January. These months all run together for me now. Mm-hmm. I said, I want this on the record. So they can put, they can hit, you can at me old takes exposed all you want. You can add them. That's fine. I don't care. I wanted this out on the record. I said, I believe that Ed Oliver should garner some attention as a potential inside linebacker. Now, I'm not saying, I, I think he's a three technique right? Mm -hmm. I think that's what he is. He's an upfield defensive lineman. But people misconstrued this tweet as being, I think he's got to change positions. And then Twitter had to get mad at me because they thought I was somehow clowning at Oliver, which it was the exact opposite. Now, I recognize Ed is smaller. There's no getting around that, Bucky. He's not as long. But he has rare athletic gifts, rare quickness, rare explosiveness, rare speed, he works out with a wide receiver coach, the footwork king in Houston on his
1: Ooh, footwork drills. Oh, yeah. Footwork king. Oh, yeah. Put him down.
2: Yeah. I mean, and it's uh, like he's out catching passes like a matchup tight end. And so I, I, all I put out there is I said it reminds me of when Teddy Bruschi made that move from Desert Swarm at DN mm. to inside linebacker for the for the New England Patriots. And that's when 3-4s were real 3-4s. There were no hybrid fronts. I mean, he was a 3-4 inside backer. And I thought, I bet you Ed Oliver could do the same thing because he's crazy instinctive. He gets a read on where the ball is going immediately. He has excellent initial twitch and initial quickness and burst. And then he's got the strength and power to handle it, you know, to step up in a hole and take on guys, take on climbing blockers because he can get into them quicker than they can get into him, which is a big part of beating climbing blockers. And so I said, I think he should garner some attention now. I've talked to some NFL teams, and especially 3-4 teams, who they say, oh, no, we're putting a grade on him as an inside linebacker. It doesn't oh, yeah. mean we're drafting him, but we've got multiple grades. We've got multi-position grades on Ed Oliver. So I want to get your thoughts on this. He was asked this at the Combine. After everyone got mad at me, he was asked, "Would you?" we understand you've been asked to play some linebacker in your pro day. He goes, absolutely. Will you do it? Whatever they want me to do, I will, I will be more than oh, happy do to it. work out. So he was 287 at – the combine, which is heavier than what he played at. I was told by people in the program he played in the 270s. So so he weighed 287, Bucky, but he didn't do his quickness and speed drill. So I'm curious to see what he comes in at weight-wise when he does do all these workouts and quickness drills because I know he wants to get drafted and should get drafted as a defensive lineman. But I want to ask you, what do you think about my, about my, um, my analysis that, if you think outside the box, he might have the ability to do that, or some suggest he might be James Harrison off the edge. I don't know if I'm willing to go there yet.
1: You know, so it's, it's funny because in, in looking at him and really thinking about his game, I believe he's a guy that I want to leave him right where he is. I want to do something. I would do something a little out of the box in terms of I would put him at three technique in uh, a penetrating scheme, right. and I'm going to let him hunt. Yeah, I just think he's a good player. I think you mess him up if you try to do too much. Now, it certainly has been done. We saw Teddy Bruski, I think Matt Millen was a guy that was a nose tackle mm-hmm. that kind of played and stood up. But I just think the kid is so good at what he does with the penetration. I think you got to go back and look at his sophomore film to really get a true sense of what he is. He is a terrific player and playmaker, and I just think you, you can't go wrong with a guy like that. You said, when we, before we
2: were on the air, you said, you just kind of forget about that, Oliver. Because he had some injuries this year, right? You forget. You just forget how good he was. Right. And you got to go back. And, and when I went and watched him on tape, so I'm working off of this year. I know the numbers, you know, his career sack numbers aren't that great. The production from a sack standpoint is not great. And then you turn the tape on. And I'm like, uh, you know, I, I know Ed's probably going to be, I'm going to probably have him like 17, 18, 19, 20, something like that. He's a good football player. And then I finish my tape, and then I look at comps of other guys I've drafted over the years, and I start trying to figure out where, <laughs> where I see him. Like, I'll look at the, my old defensive tackle numbers, and I'm like, nope, he's better than him, better than him, better than him. Mm, he's right about that same level. And when my number came out, I had him like 11th in this draft, a lot higher than I expected. Yes. A 12th, and the reason is simple. My problems are he's not big. When you come downhill at him, he has some issues. He's got to get better with his hands. He, he's not as good as, with his hands as he needs to be. And I think as a pass rusher, he's really relied more on his quickness and athletic ability than, than moves and stacking moves together. But then, man, when you turn the tape on, I don't know that I've ever studied anybody more explosive in the initial stages of a snap than Ed Oliver off the snap. The way he gets into people, the initial power he generates, the leverage, and then the twitch. I don't know that I've ever seen that from a defensive tackle, that explosion right off the snap.
1: I mean, he's super explosive. Like, snap count anticipation, to me, is critical. It is one of the most important factors, especially if you're a guy that kind of plays with your speed and your quickness, if you can learn how to anticipate the count. Von Miller is exceptional at that. When you go inside – Geno Atkins yeah. is exceptional. That. And so I compare Ed Oliver to, to Geno Atkins. And Geno Atkins has come down a little bit. But in Geno, you're talking about a guy that is a two-time All-Pro, seven-time Pro Bowler, a guy that has 71 career sacks. I can see Ed Oliver having that kind of production for a team. What, um, are you bothered at all? Like, What about his size and
2: length? Lack of size and length. Does that bother? Because the, the one area, let me get to a weakness. I feel like Ed Oliver wins early, but if you if he doesn't finish, you know, finish – I call it three He's phases, done. right? Yeah. He wins the first phase. If he doesn't continue to win in a second phase so that he can finish, he doesn't – he has the initial power – but then the lack of length, I don't know that he has sustained power because if a guy's 320 across from him, there's only so much you can do when you're 50 pounds lighter. And it's not fair for everyone to act like he's Aaron Donald because Aaron Donald's it, that's a freak daddy from a strength standpoint. Aaron is one of the most rare dudes I've ever seen. And I don't even know if it's fair to keep for people to keep calling Ed Oliver the next Aaron Donald. I don't really think that's fair to Ed Oliver.
1: No, I don't, I don't think it's fair to him, but I can see why. Because what has happened – Aaron Donald creates a pathway for Ed Oliver now yes. to be considered at the top. Because remember, Aaron Donald, at the I just remember at the beginning when I saw Aaron Donald at Pittsburgh, and you see all the tackle for losses, all the disruptive production, all of that other two, stuff. Two 11-sack seasons. Even then, when I first started ground, I was like, oh, i put bottom of the first round. <laughs> yeah. Even though you see all this because you're like, man, he's six foot. He this can't hold that. up. I don't know if he can hold up. Now, that was before I saw him at the senior bowl. Then you go to the senior bowl. He wears everybody out all week. And you're like, uh, move him up a little bit. Then he goes to the combine. Yeah. And he puts on a legendary performance. And you're like, right? well. And so you find yourself. Now he finishes. I think he was 12th overall uh-huh. when he was picked. He was 12th. That's the thing. With Ed Oliver, now that Aaron Donald has had that kind of success, teams can be like, hey, look, I know he's a little undersized, but put him in here, He he's allowed to play and – because Aaron Donald plays a certain way. And once again, we're not saying Ed Oliver is Aaron Donald. But Aaron Donald is a guy that plays on the edges. Right. When you walk him, he ain't really trying to stack and double team. They are using him on the move to allow him to use his speed quick. Now, he has tremendous tremendous power. Yes. When you watch his body, you look at him, and you're like, man, I just didn't know you, you could be a D-tackle with abs. Yeah. But- he looks like a swoon. <laughs> I mean, he,
2: he is unbelievable. Like, I don't know when but- they're going to put a cape on him and roll him out into a Marvel comic. But, but, they but it's, that,
1: it's that kind of stuff. And so with a guy like an Ed Oliver, creativity is necessary. He's not going to be for everybody, but if right. you have a good imagination, if you're willing to say, look, this is what he does really well, he could be a dominant player.
2: He's going to be interesting. He didn't have the same production as Oliver, he I mean, as a as a Aaron Donald, he didn't have a senior bowl. Mm-mm. He didn't perform at the combine. He will at his pro day, so he didn't get to show out in certain big stages like Aaron uh, Donald did. However, he's also not going to play nose a zero technique where you're basically lining up a, a block like Houston did. So I expect that production on the next level. I expect defensive coordinators to put them in position to make more disruptive plays for
1: sure. And I think I think it certainly will help. Now, I have to say this because when I was in that deep dive, I looked at Ed Oliver. Jerry Tillery from Notre Dame? What are you doing, Jerry? Look, man, like you talk about guys I stand on the table for. I know everyone will talk about his off-field exploits. He's gone to all these countries and all this other stuff. Right. I yeah. think what you ideally want in a football player is you want a guy that is a nice guy off the field. Mm-hmm. But then when they step between the lines, they have what I call that cray-cray switch. <laughs> where what they do on the field is <laughs> not in their normal thing. Like there's something where they go to a dark place. When I look at Tillery. You want to be a little uncomfortable with him. Yeah. Like-, <laughs> like when I go, when I go to, like, and I didn't notice because I interviewed him and I was like, hey, man, he's such a nice dude. Today. Right, right. And then you look at the tape, you're like. Does he have that switch? Oh, he got this switch. Yeah. And then when you dig in the background and you're like. Coaches had to talk to him because he was a little extra
0: yeah. on the thing.
1: Hey, Jerry, you know you can't you can't step on people <laughs> on the field. You're like, Tillery? <laughs> Tillery stepping on dudes? Yeah, yeah. The nice guy that speaks a million different languages, has uh-huh. gone to 12 or 13 different countries, mm-hmm. and then you watch the tape and he's wearing people out. You watch the Stanford game. Well, the Stanford game is almost not even fair because he's he just giving them the business. He
2: should be, based on Stanford now, what you come to find by the end of the year is Stanford's O-line. This is one of their weaker O-lines. <laughs> yeah. that's I mean, It is. But when we all watch the Stanford game like four weeks in, I'm like, this, is this the first pick of the pick <laughs> or is he the third? Like one, two, or three. It's not going to be Bosa because we weren't even talking about Kyler. Bryant right. At that time. Right. And then the tape gets a little inconsistent at the back end. But what you said, I mean, those flashes of that baby Huey strength where he's just bang, bang, bang. Oh. And he's just throwing cats around. And
1: it reminded me of
2: Chris Jones when I was watching mm. Chris Jones. and Mistakes.
1: That is a good comparison. Because it's funny, you said Chris Jones. I wrote down Fletcher Cox, and the only reason I wrote down Fletcher Cox because I did. I said, "Let me go back and compare their numbers." Right? Were they very similar? He's a better athlete than Fletcher Cox. Oh, his testing was ridiculous. He's a better athlete than yeah. Fletcher Cox based on the numbers. And then you look him—long, power player, great hands—does it? So I was like, oh, "Okay, well, let me pop in Michigan." He throwing them out the club too. All get the out crazy. the club! Now it's all early in the year. It's like, Lovers. but I will just telling I, him to get out. The get way. out! Get out! Get, get out the, out the, the way. club! And then. The only thing, and I, this hangs with me, and I had a, a old y scout told me one time, grade the flashes because if they can do it once, Thank they you. can do it again. He's the flash guy. He's a flasher, and so you're like, ah, oh, it's a little inconsistent. But he's like, but I've seen him do it, mm-hmm. and so he's another one that I'm like, man, this dude. I just don't see how his
2: his traits and his testing and his flashes don't get him in a first. I think oh. You have to put him in the first. You have to put him in the first. A lot of people have him out of the first, but like, I don't see how the Patriots or the Colts Smart, or the tough. Seahawks like teams that love those
1: traits and those and those explosive arms, flashes. Yeah. Six five, two, like 30, 35 inch 35 arms. There has to be a place for him in the first round. It's one of those things.
2: And he played, by the way, with a torn labrum that second half of that season, and then he got the shoulder surgery after the combine. And see, that's what scouts, I would think NFL people are taking that into account. They have to. They have to. So, I mean, you look at the entire body of work, but, yeah, the flashes, if you've done it before, that means you can do it again.
1: Absolutely, you can do it again. I mean, Lance, man, like we're about to set a record for, like, longest podcast, but this is great, man. Anytime we have a chance to talk about it. So, uh, look, we're we'll going to stop it here. But, look, guys, make sure you tune in. Uh, we, we got to tell you, like, tomorrow, starting Tuesday, you can check out MTS 360 on Dwayne Haskins. All that work that we've done on him. All the teammates and coaches that we were able to talk to. Get a full, in-depth perspective on Dwayne Haskins. Who he is and who he might be in the pros. Also, remember, check out all of our content. NFL.com slash MTS Video or YouTube.com slash NFL. Make sure you download and subscribe. Apple Podcast or your favorite podcast app. That's today's Move the Sticks podcast. Be sure to tune in later in the week when we hit you with another podcast.
0: You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.